Thanks for taking a step and being a part of Starting Point. My name is Nicole Bressler, and I serve on the team as Director of Engagement. Everything has a starting point. Your faith has a starting point as well, and that's the focus of this study. Perhaps you were given a framework for faith as a child. You attended a synagogue, temple, mosque, home, Sunday school, and camp. Or maybe you cobbled together a framework from things you heard or experienced a framework for faith. Most likely, the framework had three beliefs. God is good, God punishes evil and rewards good, and God answers prayer. For many of us, the framework we, ha- we were handed as children did not survive the realities and rigors of adulthood. God isn't always good because the evil goes unpunished. Jesus healed in the New Testament, but he didn't heal your mom. Jesus loved the little children of the world, but children are being trafficked and sold into slavery. Consequently, adults often need a new starting point, a restart. It's not that what our parents, pastors, and priests told us was wrong. It was often just inadequate for the rigors of adulthood. The starting point for the Christian faith is a question that has been the question since there was a New Testament. Who is Jesus? This is where we left off last week and where we are going to swing back around to that question in three weeks. This week, we tackle a term that always rears its ugly head in discussion about faith, sin. Sin is an uncomfortable and somewhat antiquated term, but a necessary term. We usually only use it in religious contexts. When my kids disobey, I don't say, you've sinned against me. When an employee does something wrong, you don't say, you sinned against me. Judges and police don't use that term. It's uncomfortable because it leaves us with no wiggle room, no one to blame, no out. It's heavy and weighty. It leaves us feeling a bit hopeless and condemned. So we substitute another word, one that leaves us with more wiggle room. It's an out. It sounds hopeful. We use the term mistake. If we were in a room and I were to say, raise your hand if you've made some mistakes in your past, every hand would go up. You'd be embarrassed not to raise your hand. But with no warning, if I substituted sin, you would hesitate. A mistake is something you make on a math test. We've all heard politicians use this term related to affairs. A mistake involves insufficient knowledge, or in other words, we didn't know better. Here's what I believe we all know about us. Sometimes we make mistakes on purpose. Is that even possible? Sometimes our mistakes are planned. Airline tickets, secret credit cards, lies prepared just in case we are exposed. We would call this a premeditated mistake. We make the same mistakes repeatedly. What do you call someone who does that? What do you do with a mistake? You correct a mistake. But the truth is you can't correct you. Maybe you've tried for years. Maybe your spouse has tried to correct you. Maybe you've paid people to help correct you. Some of us have lost friends, spouses, and jobs because of our propensity to make mistakes. Why can't you just quit making those mistakes? Why can't you quit losing your temper? Why can't you just quit lying to your husband? Why can't you just quit eating or drinking so much? Why can't you just quit looking at that stuff? Why can't you correct yourself? Even when you aren't making that mistake, you want to. What do you call a premeditated mistake that hurts somebody? Restarting your faith requires an honest look in the mirror and coming to terms with the truth that perhaps you are not a mistaker. It's deeper than that. You are a sinner. A sinner is someone who knows better 
but does it anyway. Jesus' purpose in talking about sin was restoration, not condemnation. He taught sin separated us from God and forgiveness connected us to God. But as long as we thought we just made mistakes, we would never seek forgiveness because a mistake doesn't require forgiveness, only correcting. His approach was unusual to other rabbis. He raised the goodness bar so high that nobody was good, even the religious people. Then he was clear that he and God loved everybody anyway. He said to the woman caught in adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. John 8. He said, which Matthew recorded in the book of Matthew in chapter 5, verse 20 through 22, and then in 27 and 28. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. They were full-time good people. So how good do you have to be? Here's where it continues. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on. He told them that they were all murderers and adulterers, but that God loved them anyway. And he loved anyone. It was clear not everyone was buying into this. One day, while surrounded by the religious and the very non-religious, he saw that neither group understood how God viewed sinners. He told three parables about not sinning things, but lost things. Jesus taught, our sin makes us lost to God, and God doesn't want us lost. When you lose something, it is separated from you. Sin separates. Every parent knows this. The third parable he told that day is the most famous. A boy gets separated from his father because he didn't want to do what the father wanted him to do. And in the end, the boy realizes that he separated himself from his father and decides to try and be restored. The way he left home gave his father every reason not to restore him. And by this point in the parable, everybody knows the father represents God. Jesus put these words in the son's mouth in Luke 15, 21, 22, and 24. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The point of the story, recognition of sin paves the way to restoration and redemption. You would like to think that you are just a mistaker who needs correcting, but you know better. You've tried. Jesus said clearly that you, like me, are a sinner who needs forgiving. That's hard to admit regardless of what you think about Jesus. So this week in your group, I want everyone to answer these two questions. Do you resist the truth that you are a sinner? And is there something offensive about that? If so, why? If not, why not? 